Great. Well, um, this is actually a talk that I prepared for our residents in Kenya as well, uh, but I did add, yeah, yesterday, I added the one TV case that I have from the US. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, any of you guys have a TV case right now? Have, anybody have two patients with TB? How many? 5.2, actually. <laughs> More than two? You know, theoretically, we should be seeing more of this, especially with refugees coming in. I mean, it's something we have to keep on our, our minds, and you'll see that from the case that I'll present, the real life case. Um, so let me just do this a couple ways. Let me you know, go through, since this one's on the screen, I'll just give you, this is the textbook case here, a 34-year-old man presents to his primary care physician with a seven-week history of cough. He describes as non-productive. He has a poor appetite during this time and notes that his clothes are loose on him. He has felt febrile at times, but has not measured his temperature. dyspnea or hemoptysis. He's originally from the Philippines and has lived in the U.S. for 10 years. He denies any history of TB or TB exposure. Physical examination reveals a thin, tired-appearing man, but is otherwise unremarkable. So what are the red flags or this, you know, kind of risk factors you're seeing in this little scenario? Call them out. Weight loss. Weight loss. Yeah. East Asian. Yeah. So he's a refugee from Philippines. Uh -huh. Seven weeks of cough. Seven weeks of cough. After how many weeks do you start starting to worry there? Four. Two to four. Yeah, sure, two. All right. What else? Uh, they put in here non-productive, but what's the, what if you, you said, what's more classic? Not yeah, that bloody sputum. So they want to make it too easy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Felt at all times. Yeah, there you go. Well, exaggeration there, but fever. Yeah. Anything else? Thin appearing. Thin appearing. So weight loss. Yeah. Thin fatigue. Fatigue. Sure. Age. I don't know. Age wise, is this more common in older or middle age? Younger, it's anyone, right? It's what we saw in Kenya. We saw it in all the wards, every one of the wards, all have a TB patient you know, every once in a while. So there's your classic x ray, right? Where do you guys find TB more commonly in the upper or lower lungs? Yeah, so why? Because they just like it. It's more aerated. It's the story they told us, right? The oxygen content's higher up there or something. I don't know. It's aerated. So yeah, it's just. It's commonly up in the upper lobe. So um, I think I will let me do this a couple ways. I got really excited writing this out yesterday. I did not include the actual case on my um, presentation, but how about we skip, before I go through all the slides, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you guys a real case and kind of we'll go through what happened. And I want you to also pick out some things. Where were some of the barriers to getting, making this diagnosis to care? Okay. so. And this is not to pick on anyone in our office or in the ERs or any of the specialists. It's just, it's just reality. It's kind of like a um, M&M. You, know, you want to check and see what happened. How could we have done it better? So looking back on our patient, WV, on 11-2020, she was sent for a CT lung screening. All right, she's a 66-year-old female that has a 30-pack uh, year history and COPD. And so she's going to be sent for her annual low-dose CT screen which would be her first one. So that was the original reason. She's otherwise healthy. 
So on the CT, they show a spiculated right upper lobe mass with multiple adjacent satellite nodules, as well as non-calcified pulmonary nodules scattered throughout both lungs. What do you think their first thought and their first worry was about this? Okay. Sure. <laughs> COVID's a good answer. No, but no, actually they were more worried about malignancy. So, you know, if you look back at that um, CT report, it's right here. And they called it, they actually called it a BIRATS uh, 5, I think. So they're, they're very worried and they want her to do what? Biopsy. Want a biopsy. All right. So mild pulmonary emphysema and biopsy is recommended. Okay. So now that is, um, and I, <laughs> You have to apologize, or I have you have to forgive me because I was just going off what I saw in the in the record. So the very the next one that I have on here is from January one. So that was November twentieth, and their next note or next note from us was on January eleventh, two thousand twenty one. So let me make sure I'm doing this correct because there's actually two CTs that happened. So on the first CT, it does it says, um, yeah. Let me just read that last part throughout both lungs as described above, highly concerning for malignancy, given the internal cavitation, squamous cell carcinoma is favored. Other entities such as septic emboli or granulomatosis and polyangitis should also be considered, but are felt to be less likely. You guys even hear TB there? They kind of totally missed it the first time. They're kind of thinking about malignancy and granulomatosis and septic emboli, all that. So anyway, um, and it actually doesn't say anything about the uh, biopsy, but I'm not sure how, but uh, you know, no, no biopsy was done until, let's see. Here's the next one, 1223, a second CT chest was done. So a second CT chest, they decided they would just follow that up with a, a, um, another CT decision, I guess. So that's when they said lung rats category 4B, suspicious greater than 15% chance of malignancy, consider CT guided biopsy and or PET CT. And still once again, no, no differential for, 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 for TB. Um, so that was 12, 23, 20. And then in January 11th, that, um, there's a note from the, I guess that was a teaching telephone encounter that talks about that. And they, you know, they, they recommended the biopsy and told her she really needs to get her biopsy on the biopsy is done on February 1st. So now we're two and a half, three and three months later from the original CT. So biopsy lung on February 1st. What do you guys think would the biopsy show? Did it show cancer? No. Did it say anything about TB? Now, interestingly, I don't have a report of the biopsy, but the only thing I have is on February 18th, it's told she had an infection in her lungs, asking for antibiotics, clarified with the specialist who said he, she needs a oncology evaluation. So some of this is hard because primary care physicians, they probably the ER, the initial CT was done in the ER. They probably started getting things going for her. If she doesn't do her hospital follow-up, which she didn't, you're left to the ER and their referrals. And if you got sent to a um, to the wrong person and so forth. So it's important that you get your patients to come back after every ER follow-up that you're sitting there seeing them. And you are really managing the way with all the specialists that are involved. You need to be 
uh, leading the way. The, on, um, so they're thinking it's an infection still after that. The biopsy did not show and say anything, I assume, about TB because we still don't have anything on there. Three, five, telephone encounter, calls for weakness, fatigue, and cough. Guess what they sent her for? Oh, COVID test. <laughs> those, are, those are COVID test words these days, right? Oh, you got cough and fatigue, you must have COVID. Um, she was, so she was sent, seen at uh, an urgent care, and guess what they did for her? They gave her antibiotics. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Again, antibiotics were given on 4-12. 4-30, another office visit. Antibiotics were given again to treat a respiratory tract infection. She was diagnosed and treated for her COPD with Restree. She's The patient is reporting, my biopsy was done, it was benign. Yeah, referred to pulmonologist, but he, the doctor says, you really need to, your oncologist, the pulmonologist, I'm sorry, pulmonologist. The pulmonologist was referred to by oncology. She was sent to oncology. The oncologist says, it's not cancer, not my job. And made their initial referral to a pulmonologist. Found out later that the patient says, I don't like that pulmonologist. I want to see a different one. So she just refuses to see the pulmonologist for another few months. <laughs> May 14th, the office visit, still not seen by pulmonology. Referral was made again. To a different, uh, to a, the same pulmonologist, uh, because she wasn't being seen. You know, it's like just go see the pulmonologist. You know, I found out later. I read in the notes that you know she just didn't want to see that guy. Well, then she goes to a, um, she goes to the ER. So that's on June fifteenth. She has probably another CT. I don't know, but she was told bronchitis may may have TB. That's the first time. You know that he looked back at that CT actually. And he says, she sees that and he says, I think you may have TV. You should go to another pulmonologist. So he makes a decision. Okay, you're not going to see this one. But how about we get you in another one? She finally says yes to that. On June 18th, she was told to get her TB skin test before the appointment. All right, she canceled. Um, the appointment was canceled. Said you have to get a TB skin <laughs> test. On June 24th, she was sent to get her TB skin test. And guess what it was? Negative. <laughs> Negative. So, Okay. Negative. So then we're all getting reassured. June second, July second, she has an office visit, post an ER visit is ordered. She's still symptomatic. I'm impressed that they still pursued it. Maybe looking at that CT and like, huh, we should do this again. Maybe there's a false TB scan test. Sputum test is ordered. She was sent to the Tulsa County Health Department, which is going to be a big, you know, that's the first time, July 2nd, first time sent to the Tulsa Health Department. And that was on November 20th was the concerning cavitary lesion. The first sputum that, uh, that they did for her was lost. Here's something cool though. Apparently it says the second sample could be, was picked up by the health department. They came out to her house and got it for her. So I think of anything about this lecture, you just need to be very good friends with your local public health department. They will really good about to get this diagnosis. And then on July 7th, she came to the office. Guess what she got? She got a dose of ceftriaxone. And guess what? The patient says, I feel much better. Like, what was the name of that drug? I want to have that again. Anyway, so July 21st, the Oklahoma State Health Department calls the patient saying that she does not have TB. Based on their sputum culture, she was negative. Okay. So, um, and also at that point, she was not able to get to see her regular doctor. She was referred to see the, the new doctor in the practice. And she refused. <laughs> she refused to see me. So anyway, 
I didn't see her after all this happened. Um, refused to see Dr. Jones. So that's a barrier to care. Maybe they're used to that primary care doctor. They don't, he's not available. Oh, I don't want to see anyone else. And since then we've made friends and I have seen her um, and she's, she likes me, but that's a barrier. July 26th, she was told again by the health department to retest. These guys are amazing. They, they, they just would not let it go. <laughs> so on July 27th, she's retested at the health department and she was told, um, that each member of their house should be tested. Good point. Did she get like the skin test again or did she get a quantiferin blood test? You are so good, because guess what happened? What did what test did they do? They did the blood test and guess what it was? Positive. The first TB skin test was negative, but they probably should have done quantiferin. The second, you know, his first sputum culture was negative. Uh, now, what I don't know, and I assume that you're using a PCR technology in Kenya, we would do what's the sputum that we would you would use in the old days? It's an acid fast bacilli, right? So AFB, right? We didn't do those anymore after Kenya got their gene expert test. They gave us these cool machines that could do PCR. So we would do everyone gene expert. And so that really, I assume, I don't know. I mean, was, were they doing FBAs or gene expert? Oh, there's two. Yeah, yeah, so we still forever. So, no, that Zine Expert is way better, and that's what's replaced it. And maybe we're ahead of you guys. We were, like, um, <laughs> we're, we're sitting here waiting on So, the quantiferon was positive. PPD on June 22nd was zero millimeters, but the patient was symptomatic with medical risk factors for development of TB, and the decision was made to start uh, therapy. So, it sounds like, you know, we never had that. It wasn't like that classic easy, you know, I mean, you know, it was just a lot of missed factors in there, just a lot of confusing things going on. A lot of people thinking, is this malignancy? Is this, is this COVID? Is this whatever? So, yeah, it, can you guys see how this can happen in, in today's day and age? Do we have a, like, explanation for why her test was negative? Or that, which one? I mean, I'm, I'm sensitive. Skin, yeah, yeah. But not going to be 100% sensitive there. Does anyone know the sensitivities, specificities of PPD test? We have one of our nurses here. Do you, do you do PPDs all the time? You probably I actually was a public health nurse for three years. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well, are, did you come just to hear the talk? That's great. No. Yeah, actually, I'll be talking to you all later about restraints. So. Wonderful. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I agree. When I had to come and do my um, TV um, for latent TB after living in Kenya for 11 years, I chose the quantifying gold. So I, I feel like it's probably a better um, reliable test for us these days. So, yes, but that one obviously is just going to tell you if they have latent TB, it's not to be used just for diagnosing active TB, but if you have what, like what they did, the, the classic symptoms and um, even with a negative sputum culture, they were able to make that diagnosis and start her on treatment and thankfully she's doing well and no one else in her family has come down with TB. That well. That's pretty amazing, but um, uh, they gave us, by the way, once she got into the health department, they did an amazing job. At communication. I feel like there's breakdown in communication in our system, especially with primary care doctors when lots of specialists are getting involved or the ERs involved. That communication is so important and getting all those reports back. Some of that was there, but it's kind of patchwork. Um, the, the health department does an amazing job. So they gave us the entire treatment plan that they were going to be doing. There's, um, there's 11 things on here that they talked about doing with the patient, which as you, you all know, that the therapy that started is the quadruple therapy. Right, so rifampin, isoniazid, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide. So uh, four drugs to start with, typically for two months or eight weeks. They're doing directly observed therapy Monday through Friday, and once forty doses were complete, they could go down to the um, uh, rifampin and isoniazid 
for another uh, seven months is what they recommended for her. So we would treat for six months, but they're saying six to nine months. So in her case, they chose to do nine months. Uh, they did chemistries and CBC after one month. They did HIV serology, which is important to think about for these patients. They collected sputums uh, every, now and every other week until three consecutive uh, negative AFBs had been received. And they isolated the patient for a minimum of two weeks or 10 doses of her directly observed therapy or until three consecutive negative AFB reports have been received. And then they did uh, chest x-rays. Um, they reviewed uh, two chest x-rays, it looks like. Uh, they checked her visoacuity. Interestingly, her ethambutol had to be stopped um, because of uh, decreased visual acuity. So ethambutol is the one that can do that. And then they, um, the last one is, please send a copy of this consultation. The patient's private physician, so that's how we got it. But any questions on that case or any, any other comments or thoughts on it? Is that her history that you gave us in the beginning? No. Okay, I didn't think so. So what was, where did she get this? Where did she get her TV? We don't know. Did she travel out of the country? Was she like incarcerated or something? <laughs> so we don't know. So it's, you know, it's, it's in the community. We'll talk about some of the risk factors, of course, and we mentioned some of those in our, our initial patient, but it didn't happen to anyone. All right, well, let's go through our slides, and we've got some more questions at the end for you as well. So um, pulmonary tuberculosis is an infectious disease. So we know it's caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis. So in most cases, the tuberculosis becomes dormant before it progresses to active TB. So the Dormant phase is called latent TB. It, all, it most commonly involves the lungs, um, but, and that's its most communicable form, but it can also involve all these other systems. So we saw this in Kenya. We saw TB meningitis. We saw TB peritonitis. Um, so liver, bones, genital urinary, lymph nodes. So those are all potential sites for TB. So it's not just the lungs. Pericarditis, for example. Uh, in the U.S., we have an estimated 9.5 million people that have latent TB. Um, but that, that number is way more for the rest of the world. I think um, I have it on here, but it's like a huge, like one in four of the world is a latent TB carrier. Uh, the TB case rate was 1.1 per 100,000, so very low uh, for U.S. born, but jumps to 14.7 for the foreign born people in the U.S. It's the ninth leading cause of death worldwide. It's leading cause of death from a single infectious agent. So that's interesting. It's even more uh, leading cause of death. So TB is particularly devastating in areas with high prevalence of HIV infection. So obviously, if you have the higher the HIV in your population, the more uh, common is TB, which is our, was why we saw it, well, one of the reasons why we saw it frequently in Kenya. So it does require the, the MT, tuberculosis, and, and basically your immune system has to be inadequate to be able to control this, because the normal process is that your, your immune system will actually contain it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the patients that are infected with M tuberculosis who have no clinical bacteriological radiographic evidence of active TB are said to have latent TB. So really, uh, if our patient would have had nothing on her x-ray, nothing clinically, then yeah, you could watch that and say this is latent TB you know, if you, with a positive quantiferin goal. But because she is having symptoms and the CT that she did, I think they went ahead and started treatment. Yes? Would you still treat her with the isoniazid for latent TB? Oh, there is, uh, yeah, the treatment for latent TB, and I don't know if I put this on here, but yes, you get, I think they get nine months of isoniazid to get to eradicate that. 
And that's why, you know, those that have biologics and such, they have to be tested before you start in those so that you can try to eradicate that because it can increase the susceptibility of activating that. Transmission of TB occurs from individuals infected with pulmonary disease. So it's only through other individuals that pass it on. So here's some of the, uh, yeah, here's the list. And maybe what my patient was one of these, I don't know if she had, let me look through that. I, I don't know her, well, I've only seen her once. They're told he's seen her a lot longer, but she, I don't think she was incarcerated. I don't know, maybe. Uh, groups that increase risk for the development of active TB include persons from endemic countries. So recent travelers to those countries, strike me as a, as endemic to any other country or traveler. Recent T, uh, tuberculin skin test conversion, hers was not homeless. No, she has a home, but injection drug users, you never know these days. Uh, cigarette smokers, she is a cigarette smoker for sure, COPD. Immunocompromised individuals. Now that's funny. Um, this report from the health department said that she was also on immunosuppressive therapy for rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know where they came up with that because that is not on our records at all. I'm not aware that she has that, but that's what they put. And, and that's one of the risk factors. I told you that, you know, the, a lot of the biologics and such that are treating rheumatoid and other conditions can make you susceptible to that. So um, immunocompromised, so diabetes, prolonged corticosteroid therapy, end-stage renal disease, malnutrition, or other hematologic malignancies. So those are some of the risk factors. I'm not going to go into a lot of the pathophys, but I thought it was interesting that basically what happens when it comes in is that it's engulfed by the macrophages that often survives though and multiplies within them. If the um, if it's able to kill the macrophage and be released, it goes on and does this again. And it, basically if they are able to contain it, it's where when it's able to form those little granulomas and it stays latent in the body. So uh, it can either stay latent for years and years or progresses to the actual primary. So that when it, it is latent, it's basically a successful containment. The immune response happens where the T helper cells and macrophages go and they contain it. They put it into this granulomatous granulation tissue. They have often has that necrotic cases center. And that is where the, uh, it prevents further spread into the body. So if your immune system is working well and your T cells are working well, then you can get it contained. Uh, these patients, they will have a normal chest x-ray, but then a positive skin test or positive. The, uh, the TST and the IGRA, so the interferon gamma release assay or whatever, the um, gold is the ones that we can do to look for um, TB, latent TB, false negatives. There you go. False negative results, results occur in 20 to 25% of patients with active TB. So that was our patient. And they should not be used alone to exclude. So I go into some details about this on the next slide, but 15 millimeters is a definite positive for all patients. The IGRA is preferred. So if you have a patient with a BCG vaccination, they cannot receive the, the skin test. So a lot of our refugees coming over, they're going to have the BCG scar. So we can't use the uh, skin test for them. And a lot of times they're either getting blood tests or even just a chest x-ray as well. But I think they're doing the blood test with them. Here's a few um, differences. If you have patients that are immunocompromised from HIV and so forth, they drop this down to five millimeters. And then uh, for this list of people, you drop it down to 10 millimeters. So I was a little surprised when I did my pre-work physical that they put my TB skin test in, but they let me just um, examine and test my own. Within two days, I had to look and see, and I was fine. So 
<laughs> I didn't lie. <laughs> yes, um, targeted testing. So they recommend targeted testing for latent TB infection. I've been seeing this. I don't know if you guys go through, but all of my USPSTF um, patients, you know, for my annual physicals, I'll actually put in their information for my the app and it pulls up all the, the recommendations. I only go through A and B because that's what the insurances are required to pay for them. Um, C's are meant a bit less evidence. A and B's definitely. And so this is one that I just did yesterday on someone. And a lot of people don't choose to get everything on that list, but at least we talk about it. And for the people that are traveling or that they've had a lot of travel, I think you need to be a little pushier to, to tell them to go ahead and get this done. So these are people that you definitely want to have uh, TB skin tested or TB um, blood tested. So just look at that. You guys are on there, healthcare workers, uh, those with HIV, IV drug users, high-risk populations in contact with those. So, and of course, yeah, you're seeing a lot more biologics. So the TNF-alpha antagonist therapy, which interestingly was part of my story. That's part of the reason why we had to come back. I got started on Humira. So they weren't very excited about me being treating TB patients all the time. <laughs> I protect so we're thankful. Etiology. So uh, developing TB requires the infection is present and then inadequate containment. So your T cells and macrophages no longer contain that in tuberculosis. And then, um, yeah, that's another, that's a repeat. Let's see. A lot of repeats there. Active TB. So it occurs through a process of reactivation. There's only 10% of the individuals with the latent will progress to active over their lifetime. So it's a very small number, thankfully, because I told you how many there are in the world that have the latent TB. But the risk is greater within the two years following the initial acquisition. So within the first two years is your highest risk of activating that. And it's especially true with uh, uh, HIV. So if you have HIV, your annual risk is eight to 10% of getting TB. And of course, those on the other types of medications uh, as well increases the risk of active, getting active TB. So it's important, and as we saw in our case, to still have a high level of suspicion in evaluating patients with their risk factors and thinking about TB. It just doesn't always come into our brain with the general run-of-the-mill patient. But if you're seeing some of those risk factors in the patient, you need to have it on your differential. And so um, if you are very highly suspicious, you may want to isolate them. It says for five days to two weeks if, until therapy is completed. So the, the health department will give us those exact guidelines and they're, they're pushing more for the two weeks of therapy, which I agree. Um, signs and symptoms. And some of these we saw in our initial patient, but yeah, definitely fever, malaise. We're about to enter flu season. So we see a lot of people with fever, malaise. So that, yeah, do a flu test, it's negative. Oh, you got some virus, you know, well, maybe well, think about at least let this TB pass through your head. And um, it's not hard to, to say, hey, maybe you should go down and get a, a test or order. Can you guys order the blood test through your system? Yeah. Uh, just order your blood test there. And then if that's positive, order chest x-ray. So that's why it's weight loss. If they have more of these, I'd order my chest x-ray right off the bat and, and the gamma interference. So, so those are some of your symptoms. I, by the way, Calvert, I remember him um, talking the difference of a sign and a symptom. I that just stuck with me. I credit for that. Also, though, I almost said this um, when he gave his talk, because if I think he used to tell us if we get all of the answers right before his lecture, we just he just goes home. 
He doesn't give the lecture. <laughs> I'm all right. I don't have to give the lecture. You already know all the information. That's what you would tell us. But we never got them all right. <laughs> had to have a lecture. I thought you guys were going to do it there. You guys were pretty smart. Yeah, I, I smart than we were. All right. So here's some of our laboratory tests. Obviously, a CBC, electrolytes, sed rates, CRP, HIV, test X-ray. So the sputum samples we were doing with AFB, uh, and that sounds like what you guys, the health department does as well. But this, you know, the gene expert test is really was what replaced that for us. So it'd be interesting to see what they're they're doing. But I assume that they're going to be doing a uh, combination of that as well. That's a good question. That's off of sputum. Uh, yes, the gene expert's done off of sputum. I tried to get it off of other samples too. They told me our machine was just able for sputum. So like. CSF because you can get TB meningitis and different ways you can try. So not every it's only going to check your pulmonary TB patients. We have to go back to our checking for AFBs and things like that. Oh, yeah. There was a a guy who gave the lecture that's in Burundi, and he said that's actually not true. They can run peritoneal fluid, nice. cardio fluid. I asked several times. Uh, can you tell them the same thing every time? I know you can do run it. Run it anyways. Huh? Good. Well, there you go. All right, so uh, drug susceptibility. This is something they would pull up anytime we did our gene experts, it would pull up with what drugs they're susceptible to. So especially with rifampin resistance and MDRTB. We had two of those cases in Capsuar during my 11 years. So um, not very common in Capsuar, but we know there's the sanatorium in Jordan that they see a ton of this and they're, they're using MDRTB drugs, which I'll go in briefly as to what some of those are. But, um, you know, if you have a good gene expert machine that can kind of, give you the drug susceptibility testing. And these are a little bit, you know, we should have a knowledge of this, but the health department's gonna be doing their um, evaluation of the TB. And in our case, it seems to me like hers is more of an empiric. I don't think they got, and that's why I don't think I got any of this kind of testing results with her because I don't think they got a positive culture or anything. So we would always be, we were pretty sticky about when to give empiric treatment for TB, but um, we, we tried not to do that very often. But, uh, they had a positive quantifying gold, so maybe all right, here's our different, small differential for TB, but obviously most people think about acquired pneumonia. We could add just COPD in general there. Lung cancer, which is what they were very much um, focusing on in the beginning. Once you rule out lung cancer, you're good to go. Yeah, that oncologist was, but he did the right thing. He tried to get her into pulmonary. Non-tuberculous mycobacteria, fungal infection, sarcoidosis. Some of the presentations. Obviously, it will be similar and some quite different, but a lot of overlap. You know, lung cancer patients can be losing weight and so forth, coughing. Um, you may not see as much of the fever, but you may still. Fungal infection patient, maybe exposure or, or place where they live. Awkward patients uh, will have other systemic signs as well, or drug pains. The chest x rays tend to. Large, uh, larger those limit that and so forth. So hopefully, be able to sort out those with your good testing and with, with sputums and such. Here's some treatment options for us there with uh, the directly observed therapy. I was interested to see how they were doing that health department. It was five days per week. So, and I, I believe that she was not having to do that after the first um, eight weeks. And by the time I saw her, she was still finishing her treatment, but they were. They worked out something with her. Maybe our nurse from the health department uh, could give us an update, but she's uh, she's busy. But uh, what? How long do they continue the directly observed therapy? But 
certainly is something that if you need to have um, have that uh, initially to make sure that they're doing it, it's a public health concern if they're not being treated. So I, I'm pretty sure they always do direct observed therapy in the beginning. Non-supervised therapy is, is put out there as an option, but once you do that, it's seven days a week. Initial phases of all these four drugs, at least eight weeks, and then continuation phase of that rifampicin and iazide for another four to six months. Uh, I'm sorry, four to seven months, and they chose either a six or a nine months. So they chose nine months for her. Uh, we often would do six months, but um, human meningitis in other cases are recurrent TB nine months. So patients that have, um, uh, yeah, th those are some examples of when you'd want to do the extended uh, nine months of treatment. She was an active smoker, right? There you go, active smoker, so nine months. I did give you a slide or two on MDR-TB, and I know that's not something that we're going to see much of, but just as a, an idea of what some of the drugs that they would use to treat for, uh, for that. And so we didn't have access to any of those. We did have, I guess we had Levo, but we couldn't just add um, the four plus Levo. You had to have all these. So we had to contact the health department and they would get special drugs. And we had one of our nurses going out and doing directly observed therapy for these patients. We didn't trust them to do it on their own. I guess, once again, the, the importance of partnering up with your health department and letting them kind of lead the way up once you get to that level. Your job is to make the diagnosis, to be honest, and then get them to the right people that are going to continue to monitor them for their whole treatment. So prevention, we don't do the BCG, but it is something that they do in, in much of the world. Um, the incidence is just not high enough here, and then it's not 100% anyways to prevent. So it doesn't even prevent pulmonary TB is what uh, some of the data shows, so it's just we definitely still saw it, but it's supposed to decrease the amount of TB meningitis and disseminated TB. So that's why it's still given the BCG. Proper isolation procedures and uh, the patients, uh, just making sure that the, all the household members are treated and or tested and treated. Here's some of the complications that occur, can occur. You know, obviously, you can get um, further transmission of TB. You can get it into other areas. You can get these pneumothoraxes, thyema, hemoptysis, and so forth. So it can certainly cause significant damage. The um, uh, HIV patients obviously hit the worst, hit the hardest with this. And that combination of HIV therapy and TB you had to separate from two weeks. So you really couldn't start your um, ARDS, you know, your, your um, ARTs until you'd had two weeks of, of TB therapy. Okay, let's see how you guys do with these. So, quick question. Yeah, they're already on ARTs. Did you take them off for two weeks? No, we didn't take them off. Within the body, the TB organisms, how are they engulfed? Killed by macrophages. We reside indefinitely in an active stage in the body. Walled off by macrophages and capsulated granulomas called tubercles. Replicate and gain access to lymphatic channels through the bloodstream. What do you guys think? See, so they they stay. So their the goal is to wall them off to get them to be walled off by, by the macrophages and encapsulated granules. Most common early symptoms of pulmonary TB are off rails, bronchitis, pain, inspiration. Right. Questions like this. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that one's nice. Oh yeah, it's D. So that, that early symptoms, it just goes all for it. Productive copolase, weight loss. I can't remember where I got these questions from. It's not mine, all right? Okay, I didn't make these questions. Like acid amplification tests for the diagnosis of TB. So what are they? Are they approved? Or more than one month for results? May not be used with smear positive specimens? are able to differentiate between different species of tuberculosis. Yeah, so thankfully they are able to do that for us. So that's an advantage of the AFP smears. So we were able to get those numbers, or get the actual species there. And more importantly, the resistance packs is what I care about. BCG vaccines that use regularly in the United States do not have any effect on the tuberculin skin test. Most widely used vaccines in the world, internationally regulated to ensure that only one strain is used. <laughs> As they were traveling overseas, you just look for their arms. They got a little scar right here. It's pretty cool. I have it here. You guys want one? Uh, I have it here. Right there. Nice. Uh, My patient is being treated for tuberculosis with isoniazide. Uh, which of these assessment findings would indicate that the patient is experiencing an adverse reaction to the medication? Choose all the answers that apply. Yeah. Maybe two answers that apply. Well, what's, and another question with this, what's the vitamin that we give to try to prevent it? Six. That was also on the public health recommendation, by the way. Got that on there. What do you guys think? B. We definitely want to go B. What else can I synthesize? I do. Okay. So, so liver. So, what would that do? E. D and E. I, I didn't even have to give this lecture, guys. You can like red. Yeah, we always had to warn people that, that their urine will change color. All right, I think. Did I get to 55 or 50? Yeah, you guys have any questions? I was wondering what uh, complications you saw. Complications did we see? Like, it, we, what's the yeah. like people die from this. We don't see that. But yeah, I think we had patients die, most of the HIV patients um, got TB. They were so cachectic that their body couldn't, probably uh, had some SIRS going on. Them and 